Welcome to Politics Unright. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. And as usual, we have El Señor Rodnin, who started out with more data than we thought. But anyhow, let me welcome Señor Rodnin. Welcome aboard. We want to welcome Eric Hayes. Welcome aboard. Chris McVeigh. Welcome aboard. AVQ. Welcome aboard. Uh, Alistair Waters. Welcome aboard. Uh, who else have we got here? Running down the list, Lee Grant. Are you making trouble today, Lee Grant? Yvette Avery Herod, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see, I think I got Chris McVeigh in already. Chris is a talkative, but I love you, Chris. Keep talking. That's how we keep these things going. Nanette Bird Smith, welcome aboard. Daniel Ledo, welcome aboard. Who else is here that I'm missing? If I, if I miss you, forgive me. Just throw something at the end of the line, and I will be for sure to Carl Cox. How are you doing, Carl Cox? All right. Let me read this. I lost it, so I had to copy it from another computer into the text. Rudnan says, a groggy Senate approves making daylight saving time permanent. Legislation that passed unanimously would end the practice of setting clocks back an hour in the fall. This is more than a convenience. It will see positive health improvements from improved sleep, scheduling, and reduction in stress. That said, when was the last time you've heard of anything going through unanimous our gridlock congress people are sleepy buddy they're sleepy this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell with shopify you'll harness the same intuitive features trusted apps and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, that's why it's, that's why they're doing it. They're sleepy. Giant 90 foot deep crater are appearing in the Arctic seafloor. Really? Scientists say the craters are forming as a result of the thawing submerged permafrost on the edge of the Beaufort Sea in northern Canada with retreating glaciers from the ice age driving the change and not recent climate warming permafrost is ground that is permanently frozen in some cases for hundreds of thousands of years in the arctic which is warming faster than any other region of the earth permafrost is thawing causing the ground to become unstable as the soil thaws organic matter trapped within starts to break down causing the release of methane and other greenhouses i didn't know if that was going to be in the article but that is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy Methane is a much worse um, greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. And it's not only, it's occurring all through Canada where the permafrost is melting in Russia and all these other places as well. So we really need to take this seriously. So that's one of the reasons I really get upset when somebody says, well, you know, we need to be measured about it. And, you know, uh, Eric Hayes sent me a tweet today that I want to say, come on, man. Think deeper. Don't 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 let the right wing folks get to you. Think deeper. Think deeper. He said, "Electric cars still rec- the batteries have to be charged, and they're charged with coal burning plants for now. But that's why we have the windmills. And guess what? The batteries are the back in store for the windmill. And guess what else we have, guys?" We have hydro, we have wind. All these things get on the grid and eventually as they take over, you can have your same old car that's renewable. It's running off of renewable energy. Deep thinking, deep thinking. I'm not going to finish reading the one on the methane. We know what it's all about. New James Webb Telescope photo showcases a single single star in key mission milestone the observatory's view of the universe is coming together we're about to see the universe with a brand new eye starting in the next few days james webb hosts a 28 times higher resolution than our previous space uh, satellite which i think is the hubble with all the insanity going around in the world Take a look at those beautiful pictures in the link that he provides. Imaginable Russian, uh, unimaginable Russian attack on Sherbinev bread line kills at least 10 Ukrainians. I saw that on Common Dreams. Standing in, in the bread queue, and that, uh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Just, I'm not going to say anymore. That's a shame. Um, anybody who's supporting Russia right now, I don't care what you think. Anybody who indiscriminately kill people like they did, 
Where's the humanity? Russian soldiers take patients and staff hostage at a Maripol hospital and claim thousands dead in city. Amid claims of thousands dead in city. And you know, in that city, their bodies strewn the entire way, both of soldiers and innocent civilians that were just murdered by the army. I'm not going to read the rest of it because we have some more to discuss. Russian troops uh, grapple with shortages of food, fuel, and morale in Ukraine. Over the past several days, images and videos have appeared social media showing what seems to appearing to have run out of gas. In one viral clip, a Ukrainian man filmed himself driving up the Russian tank stuck, the, uh, stuck in the middle of the road as it headed to Kiev. He, uh, the Ukrainian man jokingly offered to tow the, uh, tow the troll back to Russia. I saw that one, but there's another one, and I put, put that in the blog that I did with Tom, Tom Hartman, and that is, uh, these, the problem is the generals have ripped the whole system off, right? Because, you know, those, uh, at the side of some of those tanks, what they have are egg cartons that is supposed to be shields. They're just egg cartons. In other words, they were never meant to be real, just for, for camouflaging and taking pictures. Well, they had to put the, tra- the, the tanks for use now, and they were no use. You know, I mean, uh, the, the, it's, it, it is actually turning out that Putin's army is, in fact, a paper army. All right, continuing. Russia asked China for uh, meal kits for soldiers amid claims of food shortages on front line. I mean, if you're having food shortages now, how can you have an occupation? You cannot. This stuff is over. That's why they're negotiating. Russia's request to China for military and financial assistance amid its assault on Ukraine reportedly also included food for its personnel, hinting at the logistical troubles that Vladimir Putin military is facing. Russia has asked uh, China uh, for help with weapons as well as prepackaged non-perishable military food kits. Wow. Wow. That is big. All right, continuing. It sucks for Ukraine, but stalling, stalling them and economic warfare is still the best option. Keep Putin from having excuse to escalate and bog his forces down while struggling to feed his troops. That's from Chris McVeigh. I agree with you, Chris. Chris Hayes says about uh, 80% of global oil sales are done in dollars, and Saudi Arabia has conducted its deals exclusively in the greenback since 1974. So if a Saudi Wang deal were to be made, it would hold China's currency at the expense of the dollar, as Beijing looks to challenge the, you know, and that is, I don't see a problem. That's a natural progression, right? Do you think the dollar was going to forever stay the currency, the, the only currency? No, but you know what? The dollar remains a sovereign currency in what's purported to be somewhat of a democracy. So I don't think we have much to worry about the, the worst of the world going to another currency because if you think people doubt the United States or don't trust the United States, what do you think they think about China? I'm just saying. Alistair Waters, welcome. She says, I all. Russia, virgin on default on its debts. I'm pretty sure it's going to be on default. I mean, you can't have what we've inflicted. Not we, meaning the entire world. 140 countries out of the 180 or so voting countries supporting uh uh, Ukraine as opposed to and by the way Ukraine is no saint let's let's get that right but what we can't tolerate is what Russia is doing but Ukraine is no saint we can attack Ukraine at some other time can someone link this to to let's see which one Michael to Newman history of oil HBO classic comedy special I think he'll find it enlightening <laughs> to Eric all right Eric Eric's on look Eric we don't do that on uh, if you have if, you, if Eric or Rudnan have each other blocked, we're family here. Please, unblock each other from each other, okay? And just, just let's take the stuff, man. These, you guys are both in the room all of the times. So you don't need to be blocking each other. All right, let's continue here. Para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver. I'm almost done with the, the copied link, so I'm going to go to the original now. All right, I'm not going to save that, baby. Let's go to my new thing here. It says, Robert P. Da- no, before I go to Robert, I better get up top. Wow, you guys are writing a lot today, guys. You guys are writing a lot. Daniel Ado says, uh, or, I don't know what you're laughing for, Daniel. Uh, Carl Cox says, GOP loves Putin because, like Trump, they're, they're Putin's puppet. 
This includes Fox News, Newsmax, QAnon, GDP, GQP, want Trump to come to power and have them learn how to be Russian-type dictator. Russia, Trump will never be in power again, doesn't matter what people think. Egberto mentioned coffee. Well, Starbucks will now require you to bring your own cups and probably still charge you more than $6 for it. But you know what? The good thing about that at Starbucks, you don't have to go. You can make your own coffee, but for gasoline, you got to go. And that I'm glad you brought that up as an excuse. I don't mind if Starbucks costs $10 a cup. I feel I like the Starbucks environment. I meet people there. I talk to them. We have fun, but we don't have to go there. We can meet at my house. We can meet in the streets. We can do whatever we please. We have choices. When it comes to gas and health care, no choices, baby. When it comes to utilities, no choices, baby. And that's what, I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to illustrate to people. There are certain things that belong in free enterprise. People charge whatever they want. That's fine. If you want to spend it, you spend it. If you don't, you don't. But when it comes to things that are essential, it, do, it does not belong. Or things, plural, do not belong in the private sector. Spoken about that a lot. All right, let's see. Daniel Lado, when you start incentivizing good behavior... People stop doing good for its own sake. That social credit system is kind of a sham. P.S. There's a, there's a manga I might recommend to you called The Healing Priest of the Sun. It has that trope as on its main say. I guess I should find Daniel Lado's trope. I, didn't, I don't have it. Daniel, why don't you put that message in there? I'm having a little messaging problem. I'd love to know what it was that you said. All right, let's see. Uh, Tom C. says... GOP cancel culture. Cancel those who need an abortion. Cancel those who need the vote by mail. Cancel those who teach about U.S. race in history. Cancel those who change your sexual identity, etc. Love it, Tom. Tom, like Egberto says, Republicans and conservatives are thing or thugs and cult members. Then he bemoans how divided the country has become. I don't. I never once heard Tom Hartman say that. Neither have I ever said that. You always see me trying to bring people together. Lee Grant, you know I love you, brother. We always talk, don't we? Am I trying to shoo you away? Or do I just come up with differences and prove that, well, in my case, I think I'm right. Isn't that right, Lee Grant? Come on now, stop that. All right, Tom Hartman, that money coercive when not having enough money means a threat to survival is why I so favor a strong social safety net to make, sh- make sure none of our citizens fall below that threshold. Exactly. That's why we need a basic income. All right, I got to go to another video, but I'm going to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me go to the bottom of the pack. Uh, Daniel Trump will never be in power again. LOL, says the guy who also said Trump will never be president of the United States. Well, you know, I don't quite... I, look, I wrote an article saying that Trump could be president at Daily Coast. And I gave the reason why as the triangulation he was doing. So, what can I say? Egberto, uh, regarding healing priests of Sun Manga and the corruption of incentive doing good for its own sake, Daniel Lado wrote, I bet Tom and Egberto are all for social credit system like China. Ah, thank you very much for, for enlightening me with that, Mr. Rudnan. All right, Rose Williams says, Our frozen poles permafrost has been sh- uh, slowing down plate tectonics for countless number of years. All this melting makes it more likely to have earthquakes along with countless fault lines that stripe, that, that strip the planet. Scientists have witnessed organisms revive that were frozen the last time that the poles were frozen. What does that say about exposure to bacteria, viruses, etc., which our immune system has never, ever seen? Good point, Rose. Macarena says, Egberto, I don't need any new... <laughs> Those jackasses marking up my wall. I'm barely paying attention to Facebook at all, except to watch your show. And I am honored that, you are, that you're watching my show, Brother Rudden. You know that. Love you, man. But I still want, I still want us to get that feeling that um, we can have people that we completely think are crazy, disagree with, and whatever, and just learn how to disregard their, their mail. Because, again, you have... Do you not imagine what... What you may tell Mike at some time that will resonate. Paul Fleming says electric car sales will increase by 50% the end of the year. This is the real reason why gas prices will stay on the rise, not war. There you go. There you go. All right, let's continue. Carl Cox. 
uh, Putin firing generals and spy agency personnel because they ignored their warnings. He made all the decisions that failed. Yeah. Okay. What else have we got? What else have we got? Okay. Let me go ahead and play that video, and then we'll take it on the other side. Let me let me let me fix it up this way. A few days ago, uh, Alex Vindman went on to Lawrence O'Donnell and he tried to explain to Lawrence O'Donnell that we need to do so much in Ukraine. We must go in there, and well, he wasn't necessarily saying go in there with guns, but give them the planes, give them everything that they want, you know. And there are two, two pieces of that interview that I found that I liked. One is that Lawrence O'Donnell reminded him that there are a lot of countries that we completely disregard where people are suffering like hell and we've done nothing. And also, we really don't want to sit down there and fight a war with Russia. Let's listen to it and then we'll take it on the other side. Let's listen to what uh, Admiral Kirby, the uh, Pentagon spokesperson, said today uh, about this question of sending jets uh, to uh, Ukraine for their use. Let's listen to this. We assess that adding aircraft to the Ukrainian inventory is not likely to significantly change the effectiveness of the Ukrainian Air Force relative to Russian capabilities. Therefore, we believe that the gain from transferring those MiG-29s is low. And finally, the intelligence community has assessed that the transfer of MiG-29s to Ukraine may be mistaken as escalatory and could result in a significant Russian reaction that might increase the prospects of a military escalation with NATO. So some are making the point that uh, the Ukrainian pilots are not flying now uh, with the aircraft that they already have. And so jets don't, don't appear to be what they need at this point. That's not true. Uh, frankly, I, I disagree with that assessment. I think we have to understand that the, one of the reasons that the Ukrainians aren't flying is because they don't have that many planes and they can't afford to lose them. They have to save some of that air power for when uh, when there's a crisis situation, let's say around Kiev. Those, those jets would be meaningful. Uh, as well as other uh, kinds of support that we can provide with regards to unmanned aer aerial vehicles, intermediate range uh, air defense. What I fear when I hear those kinds of statements and that kind of smoke and mirrors uh, analysis, uh, because I think, in fact, that's cherry picking some of the uh, I know that there are divergent views within the intelligence community uh, and plenty of people think that th this would not be escalatory and within the bounds of how. The U.S. has conducted proxy warfare, how the Soviet Union and Russia have conducted proxy warfare. If this was any other country that wasn't uh, doing a little bit of saber rattling, that wasn't uh, you know, somehow indicating that we were headed towards a nuclear war, we would have taken action a long time ago. Uh, Colonel, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, a couple of points there. Uh, first of all, uh, there are many, many, many countries in the world where we've never considered one minute of intervention. Uh, we saw uh, suffering in the Ethiopian uh, civil war within the last year that wasn't even televised, wasn't even brought to American audiences. And so what we are seeing here is the most that the United States has ever done uh, in supporting a country being invaded by another country short of war. And uh, the other point about it is when, when you said it doesn't seem escalatory to you, it also doesn't seem escalatory to Admiral Kirby. He made that clear. The point is, would it be seen, the jets, would they be seen as escalatory by Vladimir Putin? And so what they are doing is trying to deal with an anticipation of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, we, we can't, I mean, we, we, we should absolutely not be dismissive of nuclear saber rattling and the, the risks of escalation. What we can do is we can make risk-informed decisions, well-thought-out, well-considered decisions on the, and the consequences of those decisions informed by what we understand and what we have high confidence on with regards to Russian action. Uh, uh, Colonel, this is not a proxy war by Russia. This is a, ro a war by Russia against another country. This is not proxy. This is not them using another country's battlefield and supporting another country. That's proxy when you're supporting another country. This is direct. And there is no previous model that fits this particular conference. We did not confront the Russians in Afghanistan. We are doing in Ukraine what we did in Afghanistan. The Russians confronted Afghanistan. We did not dare confront the Russians in Afghanistan. That's what that's we're saying the same thing, frankly, because okay. what we're talking about is the Ukrainians with the material they need to fight it. I'm not I've, I'm, I've never advocated for U.S. forces 
on the ground or in the air. Everybody can Actually, once he, he, he pretty much insinuating that that is something that we should do. So, I mean, he's not being completely frank there, but, I, but, but the idea is he wants a lot more involvement than we would want to provide, than we, that, than we should provide, to put it bluntly. Because, again, uh, you know, Ukraine ain't no saint. Now, what Russia is doing is criminal. But Ukraine's, as a country, it's not like they are pure, you know? So let's be clear there. Let's be, let's be very, very pragmatic. Coming up, you are going to see El Señor Tom Hartman, one of the, not one of the, the number one, the number one progressive radio show host. And you'll see him coming up next. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. Once again with us, Tom Hartman, a four-time winner of the Project Censored Award, a New York Times bestselling author of 33 books and America's number one progressive talk show host. His show is syndicated and on local for-profit and non-profit stations and broadcast nationwide and worldwide. It also is simulcast on television into nearly 60, 000, 60 million U.S. and Canadian homes. Senor Tom Hartman, how are you doing today, my friend? Hi, buddy, Egberto. It's great to be back with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, look, man, I tell you, you have another one out. And you know what I told you? Every time you release one of those guys, I want to be on that list. But this, this one, I was kind of, I, let me tell you, I had to just scan the thing. But I am intrigued by several of your chapters. New book is The Hidden History of Big Brother in America. What got you into writing that, Tom? Well, I've been fascinated with the, you know, with the topic, and we're certainly seeing, you know, <laughs> creeping big brotherism here. Uh, you know, not just creeping. I mean, you know, the Patriot Act kind of blew it through a wall, and uh, and as did the Telecommunications Act of '96, the Section 230, um, and uh, it's, you know, it's altered the world. I mean, you know, there's, there's the the corporate big brothers, and 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 in some ways, the government big brothers too. So I wanted to, to do a deep dive into both, which we did. Well, I mean, and you sure did. I, you know, I was going through the table of contents and I'm like, wait, I would have never thought about covering this in Big Brother or covering that in Big Brother. I mean, it was tried a, quite an enlightening, uh, in, in, enlightening thing. So let, let me hear, uh, is this the last in the series or is the series continuing, the, 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 the hidden history of series? The next one I was doing the line edit on um, just before I called into your show. And it's going to be titled The Hidden History of Neoliberalism, How Reaganism Divided wow. America and How to Restore Our Greatness. As much as I kind of cringe at greatness, I don't get to pick the titles the publishers do. Um, but uh, it's, that's what it's about. And it'll be out in September. And then that's probably going to be the last one in the series. But we'll see. Well, you know, that, that one is going to be exciting. Anytime I hear the word neoliberal, you know how we feel about that and you oh, know, yeah. the, the kind of things that we have to do about that. Anyway, uh, so, so tell me, um, how, what got you into uh, this? I mean, you're, the beginning you start, Big Brother and the Puritans. Why did we start there? Well, I mean, there have been two times in American history. I mean, people think of Big Brother, they think of 1984, George right, Orwell's exactly. novel, you know, in which you know, government is Big Brother and Big Brother's watching you and you know, all that kind of stuff. And there have been two periods in American history where we actually had big brother governments. I mean, you know, like George Orwell style big brother governments. Um, the first, well, not the first, but one of them, the first one I treat in the book is the, the, the plight of people who were not uh, uh, Puritans in uh, Massachusetts and Southern New Hampshire back from the 1600s, right right up till the constitutional era. In fact, for this reason, Massachusetts almost didn't join the, the Republic. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, they had laws requiring that you had to go to church, you had to pay taxes to the local church, you had to treat the, the church elder as if he was, uh, you know, the, the senior official in the community uh, with great deference and all that sort of thing. And there were these, these three Quaker women who just weren't having it and they refused to go to church and they weren't paying their taxes. And so uh, the head, this was in Dover, New Hampshire, and John Greenleaf Whittier uh, made it famous with a, a poem titled uh, when, the, when the Women Came from Dover, uh, which I quote in the book. And um, 
the this pastor, his name was um, Hate Evil Nutter. That was his name, honestly. His first name was Hate Evil, all one word, and his second name was Nutter, and uh, which I suppose is enough to make you crazy. But anyway, yeah, the Nutter uh, part, yeah. He, he, he felt that he was being disrespected by these women because they weren't showing up in his church. So he ordered the town constable to tie them to the back of a horse cart in the middle of winter. It was There was three feet of snow on the ground, strip them naked to the waist, whip them until they were bloody, and then drag them in the back of this cart to the next town where the process would be repeated. And this went on through three or four towns. I forget uh, how many. Uh, it's in the book. And finally, a constable stopped. And, and uh, you know, it was a fairly well-known story that, like I said, Whittier turned into a, one of our, you know, one of the more famous poems in American literary history. So that was the first. Um, the second, uh, of course, was slavery. If a, a person was Black in this country from 1619, um, you know, arguably up to quite recently, um, Big Brother was watching. Big Brother was controlling. And uh, certainly during the slavery era, up until the end of the Civil War, um, the South was a complete police state. You cannot, and you and I have talked about this before yeah. when my, my oligarchy came out, you cannot enforce slavery without a police state. They are, it's absolute, an absolute necessity. But by 1840, as a result of the invention of the cotton gin and its high price, so only big plantations could buy one, and it made a plantation 50 times more productive mm -hmm. in terms of cleaning cotton. Um, because of that, by the 1840s, the South had become a, uh, an oligarchy, a, a, just a fascist state. Um, elections were meaningless. Ballot boxes were stuffed. The people who could run for election were only members of the roughly thousand oligarchic families in the South who owned basically the South. Um, everybody represent, you know, elected to any kind of political office of any consequence was from one of these families. If you, uh, if you were white and you defied these families, you could get hanged, you could get uh, whipped, you could get imprisoned, uh, you could get driven out of the states. Uh, and so really the Civil War was not a war between the North and South. It was the war between a fascist mm. oligarchy in the South that, had, that no longer had any loyalty to democracy whatsoever against a Republican democracy in the North, at least to the extent that it was with men voting and not women. Um, and and by and large, not black people voting also, but still it was that those those were the two systems. And so that was our second big brother era. And then, you know, the before you go to the next one, because there, there's something that that kind of puzzled me when I was going through scanning through the book. Right. And the chapter that came out to me was big brother invents whiteness to keep power. And it is something that before reading your book, I would talk about on my on my station particularly telling people hey we this was designed to for for some to keep power not it wasn't designed for white people it was designed for some to hold power and when i saw that you brought that into the fold it was like oh wow yeah tom why don't you elaborate on that for me well thank you i can't uh, claim original uh, originality to that i learned it from the 1619 project and several ah. other books that were written around that time but basically what was happening is, you know, starting in 1619, slavery uh, was a thing here in North America. And uh, by, the middle, uh, by, the, by the middle of the early 1600s, the 1630s, if I'm remembering correctly, and I would refer you to Hannah, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Nicole Hannah Jones's book. Yeah, Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, around that time, uh, poor whites, First of all, many of the Africans who were brought over were just one generation of slavery or, or you know, it was impressment or it was, um, uh, I forget the word for where you have to pay back your right. fare. Indentured and, servitude. Indentured servitude. Thank you. Bless you. And um, that was the case with many of the white people who came to this country as well. And so they were finding common purpose with each other. And there were a number of rebellions that were black and white rebellions against mm -hmm. rich people. And so the, the good fathers of Virginia, specifically in the 1630s, as I recall, in fact, I think 1636 was the big year for it, but I'd have to, it's been a year since I wrote the book, I'd have to go mm -hmm. back and look at it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, basically they said, okay, we're going to enforce this caste system, but we're, <laughs> we're going to do it the lazy way. We're going to make it so that, you know, anybody, you can just instantly look at them and know which caste they are right. in America. 
And uh, thus they literally invented whiteness. I mean, slavery had existed forever in history. The Romans had slaves, the Greeks had slaves, mm -hmm. but their slaves looked just like them. Right. I mean, occasionally they take slaves from nearby people that they had conquered. So maybe the slaves spoke a different language or looked slightly different from them. But by and, by and large, you know, slavery was not a racial thing. Um, but uh, we invented that. Uh, we, America invented that. The Virginia invented whiteness. And it's still, it still haunts us. And, and now it's spread around the world like the, the poison that it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, when we move on now from the, the social aspect and we hit the corporate aspect of Big Brother, I think if you follow your, your lead, that is probably one of the most corrosive and dangerous portions of this. I think so, because in particular, or you know, what, what amplifies it is the Supreme Court saying that corporations are persons and that persons can buy politicians and that it's all just free speech, a political bribery. I want to no stop you right there because I, I want to tell you, I met you during the move to amend days and the coffee party days. I and remember. You were one of the huge advocates that came out there and spoke to us about people, personhood and all of that. So. I want to give you a, 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 a late thanks on that because that was an important thing then. Well, thank you, Egberto. Yeah, I wrote a book about it called Unequal Protection in yes. 2002. Uh, the subtitle was How Corporations Became Persons. And um, so, you know, it's, it's particularly problematic when corporations not only have the ability to own politicians, write their own, but excuse me, but can also um, basically know everything about you. Um, we really don't know if any corporations have done what in the book um, that Hoover, in fact, very early in the book, that Hoover was, you know, a gay man at the political pinnacle of power and in a, at a time in the United States in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, when just simply being gay was enough to get you imprisoned or, or murdered. And, um, but he, and, and, but he used political spying, big brother, government spying, to compile dossiers on virtually every politician and, and business leader who might ever challenge him. And, uh, you know, right up until 1960, in fact, because he was being blackmailed by Santo Traficati down in Miami, he, had, he and Clyde Tolson used to go down to Hialeah and gamble, and, and uh, Traficati would give them uh, money and young boys and access to the, to the racetrack and things, um, and give them rooms in the hotel. Um, uh, Traficati was blackmailing him. And, and so he was denying that there was even such a thing as organized crime right up until 1960. That year, there were only, I think, 17 prosecutions for organized crime in the United States. Then Bobby and John Kennedy came in. And Bobby in 61, the first year, had over 700 prosecutions of organized crime, which is when Traficati and Marcello found their backs to the wall and decided that they were going to do something about the Kennedys. But that's kind of a whole nother book <laughs> that I wrote a, a number of other years ago. I am, that, I'm going to be interested in, in, in that offshoot, the Kennedys and the mob. But yeah, yeah go that, ahead. That book is called Legacy of Secrecy that I, I co-wrote yeah. with uh, Lamar Waldron. Um, and it's about, you know, the both Kennedy assassinations and the Martin Luther King assassination. But um, I forgot where we were. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's how we're talking about the corporations and, and take, oh, yeah. Take, yeah. And, and so, you know, I don't know if any corporations have compiled dossiers on particular members of Congress and said, uh, <clears throat> if you uh, <laughs> don't say something, uh, this might get out. Um, but, you know, we, we live in a time when it's a very real possibility. Um, I, I actually don't even present that as a possibility in the book. I'm, I'm just speculating with you right now. But, I, you but know, I don't, Tom, I don't see how it's not you know, again, we are, we are just talking about speculation and you wouldn't be able to put that in a book. I understand that. But it's not hard to believe how these guys come up with certain laws that they know the average American citizen simply don't want, unless that's the case. Yeah. I've, I've assumed up until, this, up until recently that, you know, when uh, legislators are passing laws that they know most people don't want and that they know are going to be harmful to America and Americans, that they're doing it because they've been bought, because yeah. they've been off. But it's not inconceivable that they're being blackmailed as well. I just, I just think that that's less likely. I, that's the kind of thing that, well, I was going to say that's the kind of thing that would probably get out. But, you know, Hoover's blackmail of everybody didn't get out until after he died. Exactly. So. Exactly. exactly. So you never, you never know about that. So when it comes to, you also link capitalism in there. Um, I personally th think that 
capitalism needs all these types of coercions. And absent these coercions, you can't have a system as we have it at the same as where it really is abusive to people. And at the same time, people tolerate it and therefore coercion is necessary. Your thoughts on that relative to uh, what you've written? By coercion, what do you mean? Well, you cannot have people believe, you cannot have people work themselves off for the profit of others and not complain about it. You cannot have people who simply say, um, come out to the defense of, let's say, the, the, student, the real capitalists as they do, if they're not coerced into the thought process that have them doing that. And I think in a lot of ways, knowing our internals probably presents that case. Yeah, well, you make a you make a good a good argument for it. I I mean, again, I I think that it's it's not so much that you know if if a group of people want to unionize that uh, Amazon is spying on their uh, on their That's purchasing another point. industry and they're gonna and they're gonna use it against them. I think it's more that Amazon will simply hire you know union busters to come in and scare the hell out of them. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that the big club here right now is money, not, not uh, you know, Im implied or even direct coercion. Oh, so you don't, you, so you think it's mostly, but let me ask you this then, Tom. I don't know. Let's, let's, push, let's push that a little further. Sure. It's, it's money. Okay. How does the money get one to do what they need to do? Well, money is a form of coercion. I mean, okay. you know, if you don't have enough to eat, you know, money is food. If you don't have a place to stay, money is shelter. If you don't have, uh, you know, the, the clothing you need to protect yourself right. from elements when winter comes, you know, money is survival. And uh, in addition to all the things that we generally think of it as, you know, as status and as leisure and as, you know, whatever. And uh, so uh, I think that you could build a strong case. And frankly, this is the case that was built back in the 1930s to, to come up with the National Labor Relations Act, the Wagner Act in 1935, to legalize unions. You could build a strong case that um, the, uh, the power that an employer has over a non-unionized employee um, is extraordinary, particularly during a time of widespread poverty, um, which was very much the 1930s. And in increasingly America today, um, sadly. So yeah, I, I I think we could we could frame it entirely in a coercion frame. You know, it, it is amazing that um because I, I did a piece two days ago with Larry Summers, and Larry Summers appeared on TV, and I'm going to tie this into your book. But Larry Summers came came on, and he he he, he explained to the well, he thought he was explaining to what I call a naive audience that after you've gotten four percent. Uh, or so in wage increases that it automatically generates inflation that actually takes back more than the than your increased income was and then he starts oh, crap i know and then he starts to bring up and he says and by the way you know you know ukraine creates a lot of wheat so therefore there's going to be a lot of transportation you know we are we can overproduce more oil if we wanted to which means from u.s ports we'll have ships going from u.s ports with this oil to deliver whatever so he intermingled in there and we're going to have to start thinking about having ships not follow the Jones Act and go and, and simply have the, go to the cheapest shipper. So he attacked inflation wage, inflation as justified, wages as being, a, as being the causation of inflation, the reduction mm -hmm. of, you know, he, he in one package, right? And I'm like talking about subliminal messaging to tell the workers don't ask for too much, you know. It was right. just amazing. And I, when I tie that into what we're talking about, Big Brother, it is like Big Brother telling you all these things that will occur in, yeah. in, in this scenario. Yeah, Larry Summers is a neoliberal's neoliberal. It's going good uh, for your next book. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little too late to write him into it. But if he's not in it, I'll have to go. <laughs> he probably, I, I bet he's in it because he was there with Obama. And when, oh, when yeah. we came up, you know, so I bet he's in there. But second thing, globalism and Big Brother. Tell me yeah. about it with respect to the book. Well, uh, the info wars. Right. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's a tough one. I mean, globalism is like, you know, one category and Big Brother is kind of another. What's happening with regard to a global response to Big Brother, I can I can directly address, which right. is. Right. That's what I mean. I, actually, I'm going from your part three. 
Okay. Okay. So um, the the European Union has come up with a a set of basic rules, basic you know rights for people who are uh, users of the internet, and you you're seeing the the consequence of this when you visit websites and they say, well, you accept cookies. Um, the the uh, the requirement is that you have to be uh, you have to disclose things mm-hmm. you know that people are being tracked and things like that and there are limits on the ways and technologies that can be used to track people. There's also a really cool thing called the right to be forgotten that the European Union has now recognized, which came out of a lawsuit from a Spaniard who um, was very upset that his name uh, he had been involved in a bankruptcy back in the late 90s. And whenever anybody Googled his name, because he was a low profile guy, that was the only thing that showed up. And he wanted it to take it off the search engines. And so uh, they're, they're pretty vigorous about it. Plus, here in the United States, um, we're the only developed country in the world that allows the internet, your internet service provider, the company that's bringing the internet into your home, to observe absolutely everything they're doing online. They can watch every keystroke, every read every email, look at every website you visit, even know how, you know, how quickly or slowly you scroll down the page, stopping mm-hmm. at particular pictures or headlines or ads. They know all this stuff and they can record it and they can sell it. And uh, so there's that. And then the, uh, which, that, you know, that's the result of Donald Trump having hired Verizon lawyer Ajit Pai as the, as the head of the FCC and blowing up what we referred to as net neutrality. Mm-hmm. I always thought it should have been referred to as net privacy because it was really about Title II of the Telecommunications Act, yep. which has been used since the 1930s to say that if you want to wiretap somebody, if you want to listen on the phone conversation, you have to have a warrant signed by a judge. And up until Donald Trump and Ajit Pai got a hold of the FCC, that was the law with regard to the internet in the United States too. And it still is everywhere else in the world. So. You know, we've got a serious privacy problem. The other big problem um, that has gone worldwide, but really started here in the United States, is that, uh, well, let me, let me give you a, a setup for this. Um, starting around the year 1000, <laughs> around the Whoa. time of the Magna Carta, 1100. No computers then. Yeah, uh, no, no computers then. Um, there was this notion, it was, it's sometimes referred to as the castle doctrine, that, a, you know, a man's castle yeah. at home is his castle. But the, the flip side of that is that, you know, if it's your castle, you're responsible for what happens in it. Mm-hmm. So if you, Egberto, were to go out and put a, a sign out in front of your house, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon that says big party Saturday night, 10 p.m., you know, everybody welcome. And you leave the door open and, and just every reprobate in, in the community comes in. <laughs> so, you know, just anybody who's looking for, you know, some some place they can get away with some kind of skeezy activity that nobody else would allow. So you're sitting there in your house and it's midnight and this has been going on for a while. And there's somebody in the back room getting raped. And there's somebody over here showing child porn against the TV wall and a couple of people in the corner shooting up heroin and the police walk in who goes to jail. Well, all those criminals and you, because right. it's in your house, you're right. responsible for it. And if you allow criminal activity in your home and you don't stop it or report it, you go to jail too. So uh, like I said, that has literally been in British common law for a thousand years. And it was an American law all that time. Well, in 1996, in the Telecommunications Act of 1996, section 230, uh, the geniuses who wrote this thought, hey, let's carve an exception into this. We'll leave it intact that, you know, if, if Tom has a party in his house and terrible things happen, he can be held accountable. But if he builds a house on the internet, even if he's selling, even if he's inviting in people, as long as he's not doing it, as long as he invites in other people who are selling child porn or who are selling drugs or who are selling or who are terrorists and organizing bombings and attacks on January 6th and stuff like that, as long as it's his house, but he's not doing it, he has no responsibility at all. Mm-hmm. And thus, you know, within a couple of years, Mark Zuckerberg became one of the richest guys in the world. That, 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 that is a shame. Um, Without given, <laughs> we need to do something about it. And by the way, you know who wrote a pretty good book about this is Josh Hawley. I mean, you know, you've got Republicans as well as Democrats who are pretty flipped out about Section 230. Well, you know, weren't they trying to change that? It was in Congress having hearings trying to change that law. Yeah. They still are. And, yeah. uh, you know, at the time that Hawley wrote his book, it was when Trump was still president and, and the whole sales pitch was, you know, Facebook just took down Donald Trump. We need to regulate these big companies. But, you know, in his book, he raises a whole, I mean, the second half of the book is just, you know, it's, it's about how liberals are going to destroy America. But the first half of the book is a pretty good documentation 
mm -hmm. of uh, how Section 230 has just wreaked havoc on our country. Well, I mean, it sure has both with the election, you name it, you got it. Um, without giving the, the end of your in the end of your book, um, how do we rein this in just kind of topically, not anything in detail? Well, I think that, you know, number one, we need to deal with Section 230 and get that under control. Number two, we need to break up some of these giant monopolies. Um, no, no one company should control 80 or 90 percent of an industry like Google does with search, for example, or Facebook does with social media. Um, number three, we need to adopt the, the European privacy laws, um, the GDRP, I think it's the yeah, GP. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> We need, to, we need to adopt that or something like it. And California is kind of leading on that, but they can't do things that, that the federal government could do. And, and, and finally, we need to end uh, the so-called net neutrality, and, or we need to restore net neutrality, end uh, Ajit Pai and Donald Trump's sabotage of the Telecommunications Act and the uh, Title II of the Telecommunications Act of 1930, whatever it was. It's funny. As a starting point. Plus, we need to wait the as, to, as to how they're being spied on. <laughs> And you know, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, even though Europe has better laws, I still sit down here and wonder sometimes. But do they really work? Because it's a pipe. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I think you need great laws on the front end and the back end. Um, I agree. You know, I actually wrote an article on on the uh, net neutrality for common dreams about, I don't know, years ago, and it just popped up recently, and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that year. You know, several years ago during our move to amend days. Oh yeah, you were you were at the front of a lot of this stuff. Yeah, we were we were with this stuff a long, long time. Um, Tom, first of all, folks, you guys have to go out there and get that book. And you know, I don't, I you know, I get a lot of people on here, and I don't just tell them to go get the book. But this is one. Well, every book that Tom writes, you got to get out there and get. So don't forget <laughs> to go ahead. No, what? Tom, you know, you know, it's. Uh, you put your you put you put the stuff in there. The hidden history of Big Brother in America: How the death of privacy and the rise of surveillance threatened us and our democracy. Folks, get don't only I'm going to tell you don't only get that book. Get the whole damn series because if progressives are going to do the work that's necessary to recover all that went wrong in this country, we need these different. We we need pathways. And, you know, I used your, I, I love your book, the one that you did on healthcare. Mm -hmm. I use, I, I mentioned that book and I, I promote that book all of the times uh, because I think it, it is a very, very important read. This one is a very important read, though I have only scanned it. I have to be honest about it. But uh, again, a very important read. Tom Hartman, thank you so, well, you know what? Thank you so kindly for the book. Thank you for kindly for appearing once again on Politics Done Right. And I cannot wait for the next one. And thank you so much for having me, Egberto. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you so much. Well, we are coming close and I haven't asked for anything. So here we go. Look at that cup. Look at that cup ballister. She got the cup. Why don't you go ahead and get the cup? And I'm only going to give you one link today because, you know, we had problems and we started late. And I don't want to spend all this time asking uh, for contributions. So what I'm going to say, just go ahead, please, and click on join if you are on YouTube or click on uh, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. And maybe someday I will, put the, uh, I will en enable the right keyboard before I try to copy paste. There you go. Please go to politicsunright.com slash PayPal. And if you want to find out What's the all-encompassing way to support us? Go to politicsunright.com slash support, and that's where we have all the different links in which you can support us. Um, so please, please consider supporting us. And also this. I'm Egberto Willis, as host of Politics Done Right, a progressive radio media show on Pacifica Network's KPFT 90.1 FM Houston that engages all ideologies. I found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological. There is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books. I wrote the first one titled, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom to Describe the Entire Economy in a Manner We Can All Understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few. 
The Chosen. The second book, titled It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, Take It to the Next Level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It gives us a place to land after learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side we point out what would make an economy that works for all each book stands on its own but together they provide the full picture please consider getting one or more you will undoubtedly learn be entertained and help us continue the mission with our blogs articles videos and books Hey, Lee Grant, I saw that little notice that you tried to dig in on me. Egberto, let's see what you said. He said, Egberto, ask Daniel if he wants a no-fly zone, especially if it will start. No, Daniel is actually, he doesn't want a no-fly zone. Daniel has the same position. We Daniel Ado, that is, have the same position we have on, on Ukraine. And Lee Grant, I don't know, you, you hear every day, you hear me. I don't try to lie to you. I don't try to sugarcoat anything to you. No, uh, Ukraine is not pure. The United States is not pure. Think about it. I mean, we all suffer from this. All these Western countries suffer from the same disease. Isn't that true? But we still don't tolerate, you know, a a, a government going into another government and just annihilating its people. I mean, we can't do that. We just cannot do that. No, the video is working. I'm looking at it at YouTube. Uh, so it should be working fine. Uh, uh, it should be working fine. Mike Cisak, Egberto just made. Mike, where have you been? No leftist acts rationally. Anyway, nothing new there. Come on now, be nice. I try to treat you well, so you be nice. Now, let's remember that. Bombs, bullets, and blood. What is the U.S. doing to facilitate peace talks between Russia and Ukraine? They are there, and it seems like they are on 15 points, and they're coming close to agreement on 15 points. My hunch is this war is done in two weeks. Just my hunch, but we'll see. Mike A. C-Sex says, I've been working hard to pay for all this inflation and blaming on Biden. I suggest you listen to, uh, to the piece that I just... You know what I want to do? I want you to read this piece that I wrote after somebody, a neoliberal that thinks just like you. I'm gonna, I may be getting a few drop things here, but let me get this real quick. Egberto Willis, uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me get this for you. See if it'll come up or I'm, I'm going to lose too many packets. I think I'm okay so far. I want you guys, everybody here, this is my new article that I just, one of the reasons I was late getting the show started i wanted to write this article and i wrote the article i threw it up on on medium already but i want you guys to see this article that article and it may help you out um eric i mean uh, mike Cisak. inflation that we're looking at today is false the inflation that we have today is driven by corporate greed solely corporate greed. We have shortages here and there that we can live without. But as far as what's really causing inflation is corporate greed and they have people like my brother Mike Cisek snowed into putting blame on the government instead of putting blame where it actually belongs, on those who want to take your wealth. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.